Coming up on episode 121 of Appetite for Distortion, we speak with the president of Sunset Lane Entertainment, Sally Fertini. Now, where does Sally fall into our six degrees of GNR bacon? Well, she was one of the executive producers on the 2002 Video Music Awards at MTV when Axel made his return with braids and with bucket. We talk about it. Welcome to the podcast. Do you know where you are? Do you know where you are? is Appetite for Distortion. And welcome to the podcast, Appetite for Distortion, episode 121. It is... Brando, what a, a podcast, night train, journey, whatever monstrosity this, this thing has been. Uh, last episode, getting to speak with Stephen Van Zant, of course, from the H Street Band and the Sopranos. Very funny how so many of you only knew him from the Sopranos and not from Bruce Springsteen. Very interesting. It depends on, I guess, when you grew up. Uh, but today, well, as Mike Squires, I guess, just introduced me, and I got to thank uh, Mike, of course, for doing our theme song. And don't forget to check out his podcast. He just interviewed uh, Vivian Campbell on his couch, <laughs> in couch in Brooklyn, so that's pretty cool. But uh, Sally, I need to introduce you um, with another soundbite. I introduced myself in the show, but I, this is this is a better intro, I think. MTV has asked this next band to perform at the VMAs for like the past four years. Well, tonight, not only did they show up, they're even taking requests. I feel kind of weird introducing like one of my favorite bands of all time. I just wanted to say, please, uh, it's been great hosting the VMAs here in New York City. Uh, uh, This is the best city in the world. And uh, if if anyone lives here, you know how powerful it is and how electric and how energetic and uh, the greatest city in the world. For those of you who don't live in New York, welcome to the jungle. Ladies and gentlemen, good it still gets me. All Jimmy. These, all these years so later. Oh, so, uh, Sally Fertini, welcome to the AFD show. And we'll talk about why I introduced you with a Jimmy Fallon clip from 2002. <laughs> I said on the show uh, before, I actually got to go see uh, The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon a few months ago. A friend of mine works on the show. And um, I don't know if you've ever been, but he asks audience uh, questions. Uh, I guess when like the band is setting up or when, between sketches just to kill time. Mm-hmm. And everybody asks him the same questions, you know, what was it like on SNL? What are you, what, your favorite guests? Blah, blah, blah. And in my head, I'm like, I have this opportunity. I have a GNR podcast. I asked him, like, do you remember the 2002 VMAs and introducing Guns N' Roses? His face lit up. I mean, <laughs> I wish I could videotape it. And he, he, we started to talk to, in addition to me, but somebody well across the audience. I couldn't see who it was, but I guess somebody who was a producer. Uh, okay. And he, he's like, oh, you were there too, right? And he starts talking about Buckethead, and it was just a, a really cool uh, moment. And for someone like him who's had so many moments to still get that joy out of him was great. So then after that, uh, that, that moment, I was like, of course, I would, at some point, Jimmy Fallon would be in a bucket list. But I want to know what goes into making a show like that. Because one of the things that he revealed is that it was all kept a secret. There were code names. 
And I'm like, I got to find yeah. find out the, the the brilliant person who put this all together, because I know it, it was it was still the it was still social media. It wasn't like today where it's really hard to keep a secret, but it was really hard to keep a secret as you were executive producer of that show, right? Was that the official uh, title you had? Yes. Yes. Yes, I was one of the executive producers. Myself and um, Dave Sorelnik were the executive producers. And um, to your point, you know, when you have something like that on a show like the Video Musical Award, you have to keep it quiet, you know, because there's uncertainty um, in some of the big moments that we brought together. So we kept it to a very small group of people. Our producer at the time was Alex Coletti, our director, who was the amazing Beth McCarthy, um, and, you know, our whole kind of producing team, um, as well as our talent department. You know, this was like weeks and months of conversation and negotiation to get somebody like um, Axel Rose and Guns N' Roses to commit to the show, you know. So a lot of times with these big award shows, you know, you just have to keep things under wrap. I mean, that's kind of changed. That model has changed these days because now it doesn't seem to be any surprises. But um, that's true. in 2002, that was, you know, it was it was kind of really important for us to keep it all under wraps. It's pretty intense. I can imagine. And um, I do obviously want you to take us through it a little bit. But I want to learn more about you, Sally, because when I first got your your name, my friend who worked on the, the Fallon show, he did some, he's like, I know, I want you to interview somebody from from this. So he got some some names for me and when I googled you I'm like, "Whoa, this Emmy Emmy nominated uh several video music awards, Super Bowl halftime shows." Like how do you mm-hmm. like where I can't imagine as a little girl you were thinking about I'm one day going to produce a Super Bowl halftime show. Like <laughs> like where did that where did that start for you? Is this something that no. you always wanted to do? Um, you know what? It, it, it actually, I I did kind of get inspired. You know, I went to, I was in high school in the 70s, so I've uh, been around for a little while. And honestly, I had I had a couple people that really inspired me. One was Mary Tyler Moore. Okay. She used to be a woman running a, running a news station with, with all the men. Yes. And that was like one of my favorite shows. And the other was Carol Burnett, because she just was like this amazing comedian. Um, And uh, yeah, you know, I guess as a teenager, I was kind of inspired to get into this TV business. So I um, had a big interest in sports as well as entertainment. Um, I was obsessed with Olympics. So I kind of, um, I kicked, the first thing I ever did that was really a big event was um, the Olympics with NBC and I was in Korea. Um, And then I did them again in 92 in Barcelona when I did opening and closing ceremonies in track and field. So I guess I always had this event bug, um, you know, and doing large scale things because it takes a kind of certain kind of person, you know, you you have to be able to handle pressure. You have to be able to be a good leader, you know, you work with so many different creative people with artists, you've got the technical side, um, you know, the, the corporate side of life, the, you know, managing, navigating yourself through a network. Um, so I, I, I guess I was always pulled in that direction. Um, and it led me to MTV, you know, um, in the late 80s, 1988 is when I first started there and then kind of went full time in 1991. So, 
we I was really fortunate to kind of, you know, grow with a company like MTV it was constantly experiential and you know, we we had the pick of the crop and it was obviously a boom of music and music videos and um, you know, we really were the go-to place for artists. So, it's pretty a pretty incredible time to be able to grow into the career that I had. I mean, that that experience is just completely invaluable and and I think lost on whoever's coming up in the the field today you know I know what goes into producing a a radio show a podcast you know a morning show I have very little experience in TV I know I interned at News 12 on Long Island or you know I think in the mix of trying to become full uh, full time in radio I would try to maybe get a producer gig line producer gig in TV and it's so competitive it's so hard yep. to to do so I mean, just I, I really admire that you're able to to keep it going and and I just don't yep. know what to tell kids now that come up in radio because it's not even the same when I was growing up so I don't even know what you would tell people yeah. that are trying to get into into TV is there well I mean you know listen there's there's a there's um there's many different facets to getting into TV, oh, right? Sure. And obviously it's TV and it's digital landscape and web and 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 I think producing skills now are sort of different from when I was taught. And every every person that you ever speak to who's worked at MTV Networks or, you know, any of the Viacom brands like MTV and VH1 and Nickelodeon and and BET, I mean, we, we all had, like, we learned from within, you know, and, and most of our productions were done internally uh, for the big events, but then we would kind of bring in specialists when we, when we needed them. So, for instance, when MTV decided we're going to do our first ever sports and music festival, <laughs> you know, we started working with a lot of different camera people and technical people and, and, um, and creative writers and producers that really understood the alternative sport world, you know, and at MTV, we couldn't just do action sports. We, we needed to do them with music and lifestyle and, you know, artistry. So that was something really that was born in the land of MTV sports and a lot of passionate producers. And then, you know, at the time I was, I was executive in charge production and a line producer and, you know, your bar all of a sudden, you know, we're like, we're going to do this sports and music festival in Austin, Texas, and we're going to have three bands over two, you know, two days and have 50,000 people come through. And we're going to build this like snowboard ramp in the middle of Austin, Texas <laughs> in a soccer field. And, um, you know, we're going to have snowboarding competition and inline skating and better yet, let's have a, you know, rap artist like stop, start on a, on the top of the snowboard ramp and ski <laughs> down to the stage and kick off and kick it off. Like that sort of stuff we did, you know, and it wasn't like anyone was over your head telling you how you just figured it out, you know, and, um, you worked with incredible production designers and in this case, athletes and different organizations. And, um, I guess that's just one of the things I've been really good at, you know, as far as being able to get in there and make things happen. And, um, 
you know, work with the variety of people. You know, it's not just one person. It's it's so many, you know, to bring it all together. So, yeah, that's kind of how some of these, some of these ideas, that's just how they happened. And um, unfortunately, I feel like we live in kind of a risk-adverse world now. You know, it's harder and harder to create something really new and different like it used to be, you know, where now that got it's me a very different thinking. model. Do you, do you think that you could have pulled off Fire Festival? Oh my gosh! Everybody told me you gotta watch that. You gotta watch that. I watched both documentaries. What's that? I watched. Did you watch both of them? The Netflix and the Hulu. I didn't watch both of them. I watched. um, I only watched the one on Netflix, so I haven't seen the other one. But um, you know what? I gotta give them a lot of credit. But that's a whole other story. (laughs) (laughs) I I just had to ask because you're, you know, mentioning the. Yeah, snowboarding in but Texas. Have, absolutely, but he didn't have. He never had the money. I mean, anything is possible with the right amount of budget to make it happen. Okay. Like he, he just didn't have a good plan. But that's another story. So you started at MTV late '80s. So late '80s, '90s, even early 2000s. That was a big time for rock, which you really don't see much anymore on MTV. So did when you were Yeah, so the nineties was a you know, big time for rock and alternative rock and obviously hip hop and um, you know, then boy bands and, you know, we launched, you know, Britney Spears and NSYNC. I mean, there was a lot happening in the nineties and the early two thousand just in, in the music landscape, you know, it was pretty it was a pretty exciting time. So it would be part of it. Um, and, you know, listen, a lot of the artists were uh, very anxious to kind of, um, you know, I think MTV was just like a, a, a obviously a positive platform for them, to, to, you know, for touring and launching new music and new ideas and, and then obviously programming and hosting and so on and so forth. So, uh, it was kind of a good time to work with different artists, you know, all the time. Um, and that was, you know, I think that, that was another cool thing, you know, just even when you think about Radio City as a call and standing on the sta- same stage as uh, many of these artists who performed there and did shows, you know, it's pretty, pretty cool, pretty exciting. Do you have a personal favorite genre that like a certain artist that you just love? I mean, obviously your job is your job, but like I, I yeah. told you off the air, uh, I work on Keith Sweat's radio show. Now, I like R&B. I like Earth, Wind, Fire. I like Luther Vandross, uh-huh. but my genre is rock and roll. <laughs> so did you, yeah. do you have a, a certain favorite uh, artist that you met or that you were, you know, maybe that you, the professionalism, um, you were still professional, but you kind of fangirled out a little bit? Well, I do remember, um, you know, the same show we had, you know, Bruce Springsteen. So I do remember standing on the side of the stage while he was rehearsing, just kind of looking at Bruce from the side and the and behind and thinking, wow, that's Bruce Springsteen. So total fan of him. Um, I think Beyonce is somebody who I, I just can't get enough of um, and her kind of music and her talent and just like every time she releases something, I'm more and more wowed. I did have an opportunity to work with her on the Video Musical Awards um, 2006, and she was at Radio City Music Hall, and she did a huge performance 
um, and we rigged her like a hundred feet up above the stage there. You, you've seen Radio City, you know that stage. Um, and she came flying in. She did the song "Raise Me Alarm." She just like we raised her down from the from the ceiling of you know the Radio City stage, and it was terrifying. Like, you know, like I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, my idol Beyonce is like, you know, but she's just incredible. Like she's fearless and so courageous. Um, but you know, when you're the producer, when you're the executive producer who ultimately has a huge amount of responsibility for the network, you know, you're the one who has to make sure you're safe, you're, you know, you're covered, you have experts um, in all elements of production. I mean, obviously the labor at Radio City Music Hall, they're some of the most experienced in the world, you know, wouldn't do that stunt anywhere. Um, you know, you're financially responsible. You're kind of creatively responsible. Oh, um, God forbid something so, happens. I mean, these things happen. Things go wrong. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah. I can't believe like what Pink does all the time. She's always doing the acrobatics. Oh, it's just, it's obviously very high risk, but it's high reward. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, you obviously have, have nerves of steel. But so when was your first VMAs? Maybe not necessarily be the executive producer of... But to lead up to the 2002, of course, which is the focal point of this, uh, yeah. this conversation. My first well, VMAs was 1989. Oh, okay. Actually. Wow. Okay. So I go way wow. back. And then um, I think the I, I took a role in the VMAs starting pretty much in 90, 92. Uh, 92. I did the Olympics. 1993 is when I started to have like a bigger role as executive in charge. And then over the years, grew into the executive producer position. Um, so, yeah, I did, did a lot of different shows with, you know. That's when they were titles. good. Can I say thank you? That's yeah. when I, I would want to watch the MTV. And I'm, you don't have to say anything because I'm sure you saw friends. But that's what I would go out of my way to watch it and it was exciting and it was different and I yeah. and again just being like a rock guy I learned about all genres of music and it just really gave a personalities a yep. chance to the the showcase what the shows were live then right were they yeah yeah and, yep. and that ended I, I mean with uh, you know, I mean, the VMAs are still live. Um, the VMAs are still live. But there's like so a major that difference. hasn't changed. So tell me then, because I, I thought something happened after I don't know uh, Tim uh, from Rage Against the Machine when he climbed up on the yeah. Oh, that was a scary night. Mm. That was really scary. Yeah. Please. If I can ask, can yep. you take um, if it's okay? Because like, I, I I thought well, that might have been. And forgive me for my internal reaction, but I'll I'll, I'll admit it. I, I thought like, oh, that's funny, but that was that was a scary moment. Like you didn't know what was going to happen. No, we didn't. We didn't know what was going to happen. And you know, listen, you have a ton of security to avoid anyone from the audience. You know, just randomly coming up onto the stage, but. He was very upset that he didn't win an award, and you know we were live. And you know when these shows are live, um, you know my my position is in the video truck, um, where obviously we call the show, and the director is in the truck, and the producers, and um, so we're not on the stage physically. So we're only we're only as good as what we're hearing and seeing from all the monitors, and you know hearing over PL. And that particular night, it was. You know, all of a sudden, there's someone climbing on the set, 
you know, and the first thing I thought of was like, is that set engineered that someone can climb on it and uh-huh. that whole piece, set piece is not going to fall? And, you and that was it. the first thing I can't, you know, first you're like, what's going on? And people from the stage manager from the floor is like, you know, um, you know, kind of telling us what's happening. And then obviously security kind of went right into mode and tried to get him down. And, you know, we we went wide on the camera. So in case there's an accident, obviously you wouldn't, you really don't need to show that live. Sure. Um, and I think you always have, have contingency plans, especially on big award shows. You know, you always got to, you got to be thinking like the what ifs. But this was a case where, you know, you're like, who do you think is going to climb on the set? You know? So, um, oh, yeah, Tim no, it's funny. It was really scary for me. <laughs> yeah, no, I, yeah, I can actually, I can imagine. But that was so that yeah. was in 2002. So, mm-hmm. as we heard Jimmy Fallon uh, introduce yeah. him, you had been trying for years at that point to get Guns N' Roses. So after 2000, with with Tim from Rage, were you nervous about having rock acts or acts in general? Like, did you did your approach change? Because Guns N' Roses at the time, nobody knew what was going on. You know, Axel certainly had had a reputation of being late or being, you know, wild, whether whatever be true or not. Uh, were you yeah. nervous at all, or is this just like I guess? What was your approach to to getting Guns um, N' Roses? Well, listen, we we didn't ever run from danger. I think we ran into danger, if nice. that makes sense. Oh, it does. Um, sure. I think that our talent relations team at MTV Networks was very, very strong with um, labels, with management. Um, I know our talent department who had relationships with Guns N' Roses and their artist management were always supportive of Guns N' Roses and anything they did. You know, MTV News was constantly reporting about them, any sort of new music videos, whatever, we aired it. So we, I don't, I don't think we ever would run from danger. I think we always tried as the producers and executive producers, you know, we had a, we had a weekly talent meeting um, and it was a small group of people that represented the video music awards. You know, you keep it kind of keep small in the beginning and then it, then it grows, but it also included the president of the network and the head of the music department. So I don't know, six or eight people, depending on the week. And as you plan the show, it's like, all right, who's going to be our big surprise this year? Who's got something coming out? Who haven't we seen in a while? What rock legend should we bring on the show? What kind of collaborations should we do that are organic? So that was just kind of part of our weekly mission, you know. And and every year you had ideas that you tried to do, but you couldn't. So Guns N' Roses came up every year. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, right this year, oh, you'll never get them. Or, you know, or maybe we'll get them. Or you're never going to get them. Or Axel did or they broke up or no the timing's not right and and this particular time you know we we talked about it and we thought it could happen and um and um we started to you know plan it and creatively what would we do and what are the songs and what's it going to look like you know that you got you know that's where you have to start right you have your lighting department and your set design and each performance has like a different look and that's mm-hmm. again i think production value of what the vmas did and still tries to do is like we put a lot into each performance moment and it wasn't just projection now like it is now right it was pyro and flames and you know movement and radio city has those 
elevators and you know we we tried to do everything we could and look at by the way if you look at Jimmy Fallon's open on the VMAs for 2002 I think it still goes into one of the best award show opens ever <laughs> it was an awesome open he actually sang a medley and James Brown came out and we had a choir, and it was incredible. Like, you got to watch it. It's hysterical. That's right. That's right. Um, okay. Yeah. But, you know, you talk about what are artists. I mean, Justin Timberlake was was a guest on our show. It's another person I'm, like, a huge fan of. Um, you know, P. Diddy was on the show. Eminem was on the show. I mean, that show in 2002, we had a huge amount of talent on the show, right? So you can't, you also can't let one band take over everything else but you know it is the domino effect so that's also why we put them last because okay. we were like if they don't show up nobody will ever know they were coming because if you announced it and they didn't and he didn't show then you know that's that's not either so um that was one of the reasons actually why we we positioned it where we did okay we our fans we know uh we, we've learned i mean they've been great recent years about being early if anything but at that time so when did you because there were I think recent leaked videos of the rehearsal footage. This is how crazy Guns N' Roses fans are, Sally. So, yeah. they, so is that when you finally knew it was going to happen when they came in for a rehearsal? Yeah, and I don't know if there was anything leaked from rehearsals because we, you know, this is this is not like cell phone days. Right. We pretty much cleared the house, and it was actually a closed rehearsal. Interesting. And it was very late. So most all other talent was gone, and um, it was just really working crew. And and they showed up to do rehearsal. I want to say it was ten or eleven o'clock at night. Um, and they, they the band came, and you know the gear was set, and we we heard Axel was in the house. Um, he actually had a hard time getting through security on show day, which is like a whole other story. But um, when he showed up, I just remember we all just let him take the stage. You know, there wasn't even any, there wasn't a lot of direction. It was just like, let them take the stage. Let's actually have them rehearse. Um, and they did, you know, and we were all pleasantly surprised and um, we were excited. We let lighting and staging, you know, do what they needed to do. Our director, you know, we wanted to give her some time, obviously, to try to figure out, you know, how to cut this and what he was going to do because we, you know, we didn't know a lot. There wasn't a lot of pre-production. Um, so, yeah, so after we got through rehearsal, um, you know, I felt much better that they were actually going to show up um, for the for the day, you know, which they did. So, we had a lot of code names to to what Jimmy said, and okay. um, um, you know, we a lot of people in the show when the when the VMAs actually were airing, and, and I think we went long. Some people started to leave the venue. Um, did you hear that? So people started to leave because I, they thought the show was over. Oh man! And sucks then Jimmy for them. came out and made this announcement because literally, until Axel was in the building, we didn't tell Jimmy that they were coming on. Oh, so, so he didn't even know. He he was he knew it could or couldn't happen. Oh, okay. Um, he wasn't confirmed that it was definitely happening. He wasn't confirmed because he knew he would have to do an intro. We didn't rehearse the intro. We didn't. We really didn't. 
we we wing it, you know, and that's what's great about Jimmy because obviously he's so good at that. He can do it. Um, and then Kurt Luder, you know, we hurried up Kurt to get backstage because <laughs> we also wanted to make sure we captured a great offstage interview um, to lead to the post show, which of course we did. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, I mean, people started to leave, and then all of a sudden Jimmy did that intro, and. You know, he starts with Welcome to the Jungle, and everybody rushed back inside. I mean, it was an electrifying moment. It was mm. incredible. And he did, you know, three songs. Um, we closed with this, you know, confetti, and everybody was off their seats. I mean, it was just a really amazing performance um, and electrifying. I still, but, yeah, you know, it clearly it's, it's still remembered, not just amongst GNR fans, but I think as MTV fans and and rock fans and just, you know, award shows, you know, that have changed so much since 2002. If you can, I mean, obviously security is security. If there are things you need to keep, you know, quiet. Was there any, anything that maybe funny about him not getting in through security? Like, was there, did they not recognize him because he had dreads? Uh, I mean, I would think that Buckethead would have a hard time getting through security. Well, I think the way that I kind of remember it and or heard the story back, but I'm sure there's, I'm not 100% accurate in this, is that um, there's always a way you're supposed to enter Radio City Music Hall. Like every artist, you know, the drivers that work for our show, you understand where the talent artist's entrance is, and it's high security all around 50th Street and 51st Street, and we, you know, the traffic is a nightmare. And from what I understand is that he keeps to come in an alternative route. Um, and then he couldn't get his car through. So he, you know, was trying to work his way through the crowd. And I, I just, I just think people stopped him. He didn't have a credential <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> he, he didn't have a talent escort and Jeez. he had a hard time getting through, but he did. I mean, it wasn't, you know, I've had, I've had shows before, like I remember doing the MTV Movie Awards um, a long time ago, and it wasn't a live, live show, but um, Will Smith was our first winner of the night, and Will was stuck in traffic. This was in L.A., and we were ready to start the show, and we had no Will Smith. And we were like, should we go? Should we not go? Should we go? You like literally send out a trooper to like get him off the highway and escort him to get to the venue. Um, and I couldn't start the show until I knew that he was there, you know? So like you come, you have to, when you do these shows, you just have, like I said, you have to kind of have a plan A, a plan B, a contingency plan, and then try to make, um, make good decisions, you know, very quickly sometimes. Yeah, I, I, again, I just see it on the radio level. It's what uh, we do here at Premiere. I'm not in your chair, but again, this is just, mm -hmm. it's radio. Like, you can always kind of throw in audio, but to have a visual is just another another level. So I just admire your your, your nerves of steel, because I, I, you know, it, it, it takes a special kind of person and something that you alluded to at the beginning, but I, I never want to assume. But to be, a, I guess, a woman in that field, I don't know if that's harder or easier uh, to do that, to have nerves of steel uh, in those situations with these, a lot of these artists may be male and not treat you a certain, uh, treat you a certain way. I don't know, but it's 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 well, really incredible. What you, you know, we like I said, there was always a team, right? I wasn't ever so I was not solo, and um, and I I think that was the magic of MTV. Okay. We were all really great collaborators, and um, no idea was a bad idea, right? So. 
for instance, Alex Coletti, who is an awesome music producer, still is, and director, um, you know, Alex was producing the show that year. And, you know, Alex had really has some really good relationships with artists. I have good relationship with artists. Tom has good relationships with artists. Some are, you know, everybody has, you know how it goes, right? Some people get along better sure. than others, even, even when you look at... Um, journalists and interviews and, you know, who's going to get the interview? Well, they get along better or they have a better chemistry. So to me, it wasn't just about like, um, you know, what, the fact that I was a woman, right? It was just like, hey, you you go in, you, you know, you, you go tell Beyonce she can't rehearse anymore because like that's your job. You know, I mean, it was always just like who can do the job um, the way it should be to the best of their ability, you know, at that time. And, um, and I think we all just worked as a team, you know, and uh, it's good to have that support system of people that you trust. And, um, you know, and, you know, it's like when you're live, really the most important, the most important people is director. Uh, you know, at the at the point where you're like, all right, let's do this. <laughs> you, know? you know, the executive producers have hopefully made most of the decisions, and and the director and on the crew and everybody else can just do their job and do it well. You know. Mm. Now you have so, the uh, the right mindset, and that's why you've been successful. Uh, before yeah. I, I let you go, what were the uh, the halftime shows that you produced? I did um, 2001 and 2004 halftime shows. So, and again, that was kind of the same. Uh, it was actually a VMA team because we, MTV and CBS had, you know, merged at the time and CBS had the Super Bowl. So MTV had done a lot of sports programming with the NFL, with the NBA, MLB. Um, you know, we did we did Rock and Jocks. We did, you know, All-Star Bash weekends. We... Around the Super Bowl programming, we actually did a lot of uh, kind of ancillary programming. So, um, you know, they, they thought it would be a good idea if the MTV team did the halftime shows, and we did. Wait, so, awesome. so, so, so you said 2001, 2004, right? Mm-hmm. So you did uh, very memorable ones, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. The Aeros- yes, I did. Uh, the Aerosmith, yep. NSYNC, and, well, I guess the other one... Um, I guess change TV forever, Janet Jackson. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, yeah, yeah. Wow, you've been through a lot. You really, Tim, Com- <laughs> Tim Comerford and, and, and that. I mean, you really have a wonderful mindset about everything with the team aspect of it, focusing on, you know, a well-produced. I can't imagine what goes into producing a Super Bowl halftime show. You said 12 minutes, but how many millions and yeah. millions and millions of dollars are at stake? Uh, I guess yeah. they, to tie everything together, Crazy. since you got GNR to come back to the VMAs, you produced very memorable halftime shows. You got to get them back. Uh, get them on the not back or get them to do the Super Bowl halftime show. I don't know if you still have connects. Well, work yeah. your magic. Maybe you can get a Gene or Beyonce collab. Well, that, that, that would be set the that world has on to be fire. someone in the music the music <laughs> team now. I don't. I my my company now uh, Sunset Lane Entertainment, which is my production company. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't been doing as much big music spectacles as I used to. So, uh, but I did quite a bit for YouTube, which is kind of cool because you know YouTube. Um, um, they launched in 2008. I actually did their first live entertainment special, and then we did the YouTube Music Awards and YouTube Live.
drive and you do play. So I've actually done now quite a bit on the digital side of things and um, more series and more live show running. So um, as I said to you in the beginning of the call, I have a lot of new event ideas that I have over the last few years trying to, you know, sell or produce and find buyers for. But it's just, you know, it's really hard now to find uh, networks who want to take a chance on um, on a new one-off, a new tentpole, a new, you know, music show idea. Everything is much more series-driven and um, reality show-based, you know, so... Um, yeah, so I switched gears a little bit in the last couple of years. <laughs> Sally, thank you so much for your time. You're I'll- welcome. Keep um keep on, you know, talking about all this cool stuff. There's a lot there's a lot to be learned, you know. A lot of a lot of history, a lot of hopefully producers can kind of take take what they've seen in the past and uh still you know, learn for the future. So I always love working with, um, you know, young, like pop culture, you know, or even female driven stuff. So it's, um, it's, 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 uh, it's all good. It's good to see the uh, generations, our next generations coming forward. They have a challenging time. I think we had a lot more, we had a lot easier. (laughs) So well, if you ever decide to get into the, uh, the podcasting world, because I know, you know, a lot of podcasts can be, the big production made out of it. Just, uh, just let me know. But this is, I, I want to keep learning about it because I get to meet people like you and talk to people like you, someone who's behind the scenes, but does so much work. And without you, you know, so many great moments in, in pop culture and TV history wouldn't have happened without your, your hard work and the hard work of the, the teams and the people you surround yourself with. So thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. I appreciate that. You got it. Sally Fertini, a name I did not know before doing this podcast, and I'm sure a name you did not know either, but what an inspirational person. And this is why we do this podcast. Yes, it has this Guns N' Roses North Star navigation system, but we get to meet some really cool people who have amazing stories to tell. Sally's just another example. So who is next up on this uh, Six Degrees of GNR Bacon podcast night train Guns N' Roses bar mitzvah party theme extravaganza. That'll never fit on a t-shirt. Next guest is going to be Dave Kushner. I can't believe Dave Kushner. I think he was episode 20, of course, from Velvet Revolver. And here we are, literally over 100 episodes later, and we're getting back on Dave Kushner. And along with him, which I think is going to be really cool, uh, to have as a special coast, if you follow on on social media, facebook.com slash the AFD show or on Twitter at the AFD show, I actually allowed you to become my co-host for that episode. I put it out there. But someone reached out that I think is going to be really interesting because I like to do what I did with uh, like Roberta Freeman and, and Teddy Zigzag, how they're friends and they, they're, we have them on the radio together. Or, or more recently, uh, Billy Rowe and Howie Huberman. Uh, just, yeah, Billy was kind of my, my co-host, but to hear him reminisce at times with Howie is great. So uh, co-host for the episode with uh, Dave Kushner, Marcel Circus. That name should sound familiar because she's been on the show before. She went to Fairfax High School. With Dave Kushner. She actually, if you saw on our social media, she sent me a picture of Dave's yearbook 
And according to his Twitter response, I don't know if he's seen her for a very, very long time, but she went to high school with Dave, with Slash, with the Chili Peppers. A lot of famous people came out of Fairfax High School. So I think it's going to be really fun to not only learn about what Dave's doing now. I know he um, most recently did some, uh, I mean, he's been doing music for F is for Family, that Bill Burr show on, on Netflix. Side note, I would love to interview Bill Burr. Hope that happens. Just putting it out there. In the universe, that's what I'm doing. I'm actually moving my hands because I'm literally putting it out there. Uh, so Dave Kushner with a very special co-host, uh, Marcel Circus will be the next episode. And still on the way, just got to figure out dates. Uh, Rob Caggiano from Volbeat. Mr. Mike Squires, of course, from, from Loaded, has a really amazing podcast out now, Couch Riffs. I just saw that his interview with uh, Vivian Campbell was just picked up by Def Leppard's website. Look at you, Mike. Good for you. Good for you. Uh, Steel Panther should be happening uh, maybe in a month or so. And, well, I'm going to be surprised about who we have next because I don't know. It just happened sometimes. I did not expect to get Steven Van Zandt last episode. And it happened. And he was awesome. And you are all awesome for following, uh, whether it be on iHeartRadio, AlternativeNation.net, on Spreaker, on Stitcher, on SoundCloud, Google Play, YouTube, iTunes, all of that. Please follow, subscribe. I love when you leave comments. And I love that you are a part of this show, Appetite for Distortion. And I may start saying Appetite for Distortion, anything goes as some sort of a subtitle, as sometimes like a book may have or a movie title, whatever. Because I want people to understand, hey, oh, it's a Guns N' Roses podcast. What are, they, what are they talking about? Guns N' Roses? Well, yeah, but would you expect an interview with Sally Fertini? No, of course not. That's what makes this podcast special and makes all of you very special for listening. So much entertainment out there. And the fact that you take time out of your days to listen to me means the world. Aw. So... When will you see the next episode of Appetite for Distortion? Well, in the words of Axel Rose at the 2002 VMAs with Kurt Loder that you just heard from Sally's mouth, how that came to be. Well, I don't know if soon is the word, but you'll see it. Thanks to the lame-ass security, I'm going home.